Before we begin, let's pray. Father, thank you for this study. Thank you for the people who have come out tonight. We pray that you would bless our time together. And thank you for those that take it seriously, Lord, the word of God. In Jesus' name, amen. We are going through this study of how to study and interpret the Bible. And there is a light at the end of this tunnel. I'm actually preparing a new doctrinal study right now. not going to tell you what it is, but I guarantee you this, you've never been through it. This doctrinal study that we're going to do, you've never been through we're going to have an end to this, and I think with these assignments that we're giving you, are giving you opportunities to see a text and analyze a text so that I think the big goal here is that no one would ever be able to pull the wool over your eyes in any context, and you could literally analyze what's being said or what's being taught and say that is that they're handling the scripture, they're not handling that text. And that really is the big goal. Now, last week, and I want to just begin by saying this. Last week, John asked a question about a noun, a pistis, which was faith, and I said it was a second declension noun, and I misspoke. It was a third declension noun. It means nothing to anybody here, but it will mean something to our friends from Texas who are tuning into this, and so I realized when I walked out of the sanctuary, I thought, that's not a second declension noun. That's a third declension noun, so I apologize for the mistake. Now, tonight, we're talking about something that I think is very valuable to the Word of God and to the Bible, and that is, what is an article? And of course, an article is just the word the. That's what the article is. I mean, the article is the word the, and it's used to specifically point out or identify or draw attention to something specific. These are critical, critical to the Bible. Articles are always specifically particularizing something. And Dina and Manny said the function of the article is to point out an object or draw attention to it. And this is absolutely true. Its use makes the word stand out distinctly. Whenever the article occurs, the object is certainly definite. Now, the article the, the article the is the most used word in the New Testament. Dan Wallace observes, and we're going to take his word for this, It is used more frequently than any other word in the Greek New Testament, almost 20,000 times, or one out of seven words. And he also observed, and he's a tremendous Greek scholar, that to do complete justice to the article the, one would have to study every use of every writer in the New Testament, but we may be certain of this fact that the use of the article the is never meaningless. I actually decided one Monday, I'm going to just start chipping away at that. That little statement he made right there, you'd have to study every use of every writer. I decided to take John chapter 1. I took a sheet of paper, and then I went down through John chapter 1 and just made a notation, a list of every single use of the article. It is amazing, just in the first chapter of the Gospel of John, how many articles are used. Now, the English word the is called a definite article, and... It's also called that in Greek, but you don't have to call it a definite article. You could just call it an article. And the reason I say that is because there are no indefinite articles in Greek. In English, the articles a or an are called indefinite articles. For example, if we said there is the organ, it's different than if we say there is a organ or an organ. If I said there is the Bible, It's different than if I say there is a Bible. And in English, 
by not having an article the before whatever you're talking about, you tend to lessen the importance. If we say there is the table, we're particularizing a table, but if I just say there's a table, it kind of lessens the importance, and we do that in English. But when it comes to God's word that's written in the New Testament in Greek, there's no such thing as an indefinite article. So we do not typically call the article a definite article, but you'll notice in your homework assignments, when you get to the abbreviation page of your homework assignment, that the way they identify the article is by the letter D. You'll notice that, which means a definite article. But the reason why most of the time we just call it an article in biblical studies is because the idea of indefinite article doesn't exist. But there is a definite article. So it is called definite article. That's what it's used in your handout that you're going to look at tonight. Now, when an article, the, is used before something, that's called an articular construction, which makes logical sense. And the writer wants something specifically identified, the Bible, the piano. The writer, when he uses one of those articles, is, as Dan Wallace said, it's not meaningless. When a writer uses that article, the, and train your eye to see that when you're reading the scriptures, when you see that little word, the, that writer is specifying something. There's something that he's drawing attention to that he wants identified. Now, when the article is not used before something, it's called an anarthrous construction, which means no article. So you have an articular construction where there is an article used before something, you have an anarthrous construction. There's no article used before something. The writer is stressing something differently, though. In biblical Greek, what a writer is stressing when he doesn't use the definite article is the character and quality of something. So if I were to say, here is the Bible, and I refer to this Bible here, here is the Bible, I'm actually having you look at this, I'm particularizing this, I'm specifying this Bible right here. But if I were to say to you, there is a Bible, and I say it in Greek, you'd probably say, well, it's just another Bible. But that's not what I mean. When I say there is a Bible and there's not an article before the noun Bible in Greek, what I mean is this is the character and quality of everything that makes a Bible a Bible. In other words, I'm stressing the character and quality. I'm emphasizing something else other than just identify it as the Bible. I'm stressing the character and quality of something. This would mean that all of the character and quality of what a Bible is is what I just held up. All the character and quality of God's word was what I held up. Now, Dana and Manny observe the articular construction emphasizes identity and the anarthrous construction emphasizes character. And it's very important to spot this. It's very important to spot this article, the, and understand what it means. It's also good to spot when there's no article there and understand what it means. And I want to give you a biblical illustration of something that I just heard that will settle this immediately. I want you to go to Psalm 51.5. Psalm 51.5. And in Psalm 51.5, when I heard this done by a Bible teacher, this is what drove me. I said, well, this will be simple to figure out if what he's saying is true. In Psalm 51.5, he said, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Now, this particular individual, who I have great respect for, said 
that that verse right there means that David was probably a result of an immoral relationship. In other words, it doesn't just mean that there was a person who was born with a sin nature, and the sin nature was transmitted from parent to child to child, and that's the process ever since the book of Genesis when sin natures are printed. But he actually took that verse there and said he believed that David was actually conceived in an immoral relationship. And then he took it a step further, and he said, and that's why when Samuel went to find out who is going to be the king of Israel, David's out in the field He wasn't even invited to be there with the other brothers because he was like the odd sheep in this immoral relationship. Well, I said, there's a simple way to find out if that's true, if there's an article or lack of article. If there's an article, the there, the sin, or there's an article, the iniquity, we could say, yeah, that probably is exactly what's there. But if there's no article there, if there's no article there, it's an anarthrous construction, we would say, no, what he means is in the character and quality of sin, I was conceived. In other words, I was conceived with a sin nature. So immediately I went to the Septuagint and I looked it up in Greek, no article. So I thought, eh, let's go to the Hebrew text. So I go to the Hebrew text, look it up in Hebrew, no article, which means this guy who I respect stood there, said this before a massive congregation, it's not true. It's just not true. The grammar will not defend the position. The lack of article indicates that what was being communicated in Psalm 51.5 is I had the character and quality of sinfulness given to me by my parents and I was conceived with this sin principle, this sin nature, the character and quality of sin. It's not talking about some specific sin failure that was involved there. Now, a great example of this that cults use with this lack of article is John 1.1. So I would like you to go to John 1.1. This is one that Mormons will use. For those of you that have been around the church for a while, you know this particular story. But one time I had two Mormons come to our door, and they dropped this on me. They dropped this very verse on me, standing at the door. And I said, oh, well, I don't see... And they said, if you only knew Greek, you'd see what we're saying is right. So I said, just a minute. I stepped into our house, and I grabbed a Greek text. And I walked out, and I said, you know, it just so happens I do know Greek. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open up to the passage you just quoted. And I handed him the Greek text, and I said, don't even translate that into English for me. Just read it in Greek. I want you to read it in Greek. He didn't know what he was talking about. He couldn't even do the alphabet. He had no clue what that text was saying. He couldn't read it in Greek. They're going door to door, door to door, telling people a lie that they don't even know what they're talking about, and they're using this verse in John 1.1 to prove their point. Now, John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the word. There's an article, the, before word. And the word, there's an article, the, before word there, was with the God, and the word was God. So what you have here is you have four articles, the, four articles, the, used in one verse, but the last proper noun, God, does not have an article. So, because of that, some of these Mormons have concluded that what this means is that the word was a God, but the word was not the God. 
So they take the position that the missing article on the last noun before God lessens the fact that he was the God. But you see, here is where understanding of true grammar becomes so important when it comes to what's written in the scriptures. Because when the article is not used, it's not lessening anything. When the article is not used, it's emphasizing the character and quality of something. So when John says and writes, the word was God, what he's basically saying concerning Jesus Christ is Jesus Christ, the word, is everything the character and quality of God was. In other words, Jesus Christ is the full character and quality of God. He is the word. He is the God. He has all of the character and quality and attributes of God. That is developed by understanding how this language works. So not only was Jesus Christ the God, his whole character and quality was fully God as well. So what you have stressed in John 1.1 is identity and quality. Jesus Christ is specifically pointed out as being God in John 1.1. And he's specifically pointed out by that last noun God without the article as having the full character and quality of all that God is. That is the emphasis of what that verse actually says. Now oftentimes the English translators of the Bible add an article the when it's not there or they don't include the article the when it is there for English purposes. For example in John 1, 1 there's an article the before the first noun God and it's not translated in the King James Version or the NASV or the NIV, the text literally reads, In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with the God, and God was the Word. That's how you literally read that in Greek. But for English understanding purposes, for grammar purposes, the English translators, they add an article, the, before beginning, in the beginning. I don't know why they didn't just say in beginning, because that's what's there. But they do add the article, the, in the beginning. And then also they eliminate the article the from the prepositional phrase with God. I don't know why they did that either. The word was with the God. That's how it reads. The word was with the God. And I've broken down every single word for you there in English. And you have the Greek article right under it. And they reverse the words and God was the word. And they turn that into the word was God. Now the English translation that makes the most mistakes in missing articles is the King James Version. I don't want to shatter your whole existence here, but the fact of the matter is the King James Bible, for some reason, misses articles more than almost every other English translation, and much of the reason for that is probably because it was based on a Latin translation, and a lot of it was, and the Latin translation doesn't use articles. Therefore, as Dan Wallace observed, the King James translators frequently miss the nuances of the Greek article. And let me show you one. Let's go over to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 5. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 5. Now, if you're reading a New American Standard or an NIV, Matthew chapter 4 verse 5 will say this. In Matthew 4 5, the devil took him into the holy city and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. The pinnacle of the temple. But if you're reading the King James Version, it just says that the devil took Jesus to a pinnacle of the temple. Now, does that really change the meaning all that much there? Probably not. 
except for this. When you start saying this is the pinnacle of the temple, what that would seem to indicate is he took him to a specific spot where he could view battle areas. The pinnacle area was the area where you could go and you could see the most, and you could especially overlook areas that were battle areas. So when the devil is taking Jesus to see this, he's taking him to the top spot where he could look out and he could see all of these things. Now that's in that article, the. Does it change the meaning if we say they took him to a pinnacle of the temple? Not necessarily, but you don't get the full color of it. You don't get the full flavor of it. Let me take you to another Matthew 5.1. Matthew 5.1. And if you're reading a King James Version or a New International Version, in Matthew 5.1, you will notice it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain But if you're reading the King James or the NIV, it says he went up on a mountain. Well, does it make a big difference to the interpretation of the text? He went up on a mountain versus the mountain? I think it does. Because when he uses the article the, he's saying he went up on a specific mountain. Now, if we put this in the context of where he was, he's up on a specific mountain in Galilee, probably east of the Sea of Galilee. He's obviously not on a mountain around Jerusalem. So he's talking about being up here on a specific mountain to pray at this location, and he's about to launch into probably his greatest discussion for the nation Israel, but he's up on a specific mountain that's in the Galilean area versus the Judean area. I think that is important. I mean, it is important to understand where this is. So that little article, the, becomes critical. No, I want to have you stop in Matthew, another chapter. Go to Matthew 25. Matthew 25. Matthew 25, 41. Okay, so now the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about the fact that there's this judgment that's going to be given, the judgment of the nations that's going to be given when he comes back. And in Matthew twenty-five forty-one, we read, Then he will also say to those that is left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire. Article the. The eternal fire. The article the is there in the New American Standard. It's there in the NIV. But if you're reading the King James, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, not the eternal fire, not the everlasting fire. Now, is that a big deal? Oh, in my opinion, it is. Because what you're talking about here is he's not just throwing him in the judgment of fiery judgment. He's putting him in the eternal place of fire, the eternal lake of fire. It's being specified just by that use of that article. He's zoning in, zeroing in on the fact that he's putting him there in that place. Now, let's go to Luke 18. Luke 18 and verse 13. And we read in Luke 18, 13, but the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. There's your article, the. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Now, if you're reading a King James Version, or you're reading a New International Version, it says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now, why would that be significant? I mean, does it really change 
The guy says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I think it does. He's particularizing himself. He's specifying himself on this. He's pointing himself out here. He's not just saying, I'm a sinner like all these other people are sinners. He's actually doing something very specific here, and he's saying, be merciful to me, the sinner. He sees himself that way. Now, to me, that article becomes critical to unraveling that. One more, John 4.27. John 4.27. And here we read, At this point his disciples came and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek or why do you speak? Now here is a case where the King James Version adds the. You're speaking with the woman. That's not in the original text. The Greek text reads, He talked with a woman. In other words, the emphasis here is he's talking to the character and quality of a woman here. It's not necessarily specifically identifying it. So the point of this is you're going to have a more difficult time really picking out is the article there or not there if you're reading the King James Bible. If you like the King James Bible, keep reading it. It's a great English translation. It's been around for a lot of years, but we have to be objectively honest when we analyze the text. This is, of course, why we have the New American Standard Bible in this church, because we do think it gets very close to what's accurate in the original text. Now, there are different ways that an article can be used. There can be an article used to point out some specific person or object, some specific person or object. For example, in Matthew 3, 2, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Man, when you see that, that phrase, the kingdom of the heavens, that gives you pause to say, wow, this must be some specific kingdom he's talking about here. And it is a kingdom he's talking about. He's talking about the kingdom he would set up on earth. I mean, he's talking about the specific kingdom, particularly for Israel, when he would reign as king, he's offering them that kingdom right then, right there. He's making an offer to them. Matthew uses that phrase 32 times and only in Matthew. So it is a very specific kingdom that's being offered from the heavens, which takes one immediately to the third heaven, the throne of God. And so what basically is being offered to Israel here is a specific kingdom from the specific king, and it's at hand. It was right there, right then. They could have accepted him as king, believed on him, and they could have had that kingdom right then and there. Of course, we know the story. They didn't. He came into his own. His own didn't receive him. So God has temporarily put the program in abeyance, and he has allowed the gospel to go out to people like you and me. So that's just amazing grace and the sovereign plan of God. But there is the use of the article. In Mark 1.10, he saw the heavens opening and the spirit like a dove descending upon him. This is not just any spirit descending here. This was the Holy Spirit. And this was the Holy Spirit that was coming right out of the heavenlies. I mean, looking up in the sky, they saw that as he came upon the Lord Jesus Christ. The Spirit of God descended upon him, basically inaugurating him and saying to the world, this is your Messiah. Saying to Israel in the Jordan River, here's your Messiah right here. It's a sign right out of heaven that this is your king. And then in Mark 13, 24, but in those the days after the tribulation... The sun will be darkened and the moon will not give the light of it. That's very specific information. And by use of the article, I would assume that 
We are talking about specific days, the tribulation days. We're talking about the specific sun that is going to be darkened and the specific moon that will not give its light. All of that is being specified by that article, the, that's before those nouns. So what we have here is specific days, specific times, specific places, when and where this is going to take place. In John 1.21, are you the prophet? Now that's an interesting one. John was being asked, are you that specific prophet? That's been predicted to come out of the Old Testament. Are you the prophet that Moses spoke of in Deuteronomy? when he said that the prophet who would be our Messiah would come. Are you him? Just before God would establish his kingdom, this prophet would come, and so they're asking John a question, are you him? And then finally, in John 19, 5, Pilate said to them, behold, the man. He's specifically pointing out Jesus Christ. He's the one who's on trial. This is the specific man in whom he found no fault. So the article, the can often be used to point out a specific person or an object. Now, I want to pause here and take you to your homework tonight. We'll talk through it. I don't think this was bad tonight. I think we made it understandable, I think, didn't we? Did we? Okay. At least if I didn't make it understandable, you're kind, you're not arguing. All right, here's what we're going to do. You have a homework sheet, worksheet number six. You have... The text that's taken to us from Mr. Mounce's book, and we have three verses there that come right out of John 1, John 1, 1 to 3. You'll notice that if you take your abbreviations page, each word is identified. So like in the beginning, you have, let's go in, and you see the P there. You look up P, that's a preposition. And then if you have, the next one is N, beginning, N, noun, and so what we're going to ask you to do is on your sheet, and I have all the answers here, by the way, but you're not getting this sheet yet. Okay, in the three opening verses of John's gospel, how many prepositions are used? So you're going to go through there, and you're going to look at that, and you're going to look down to the bottom of there, that chart down there, and you're going to find out how many prepositions are used, how many definite articles are used. Now that will be with the letter D. You'll see that. You already know, and you can pick out a bunch of thes right there in the first sentence, and etc. So what we would like you to do is to go through there and answer those questions. Just pick that out, and you can get your answers right off of this sheet right here. So that'll tell you the answer. Now, question number eight, two times it's stated in these verses that the word was in the beginning, and the preposition is in, based on your preposition chart. Remember when you got that? Your preposition chart, you got that big circle there and you got all those prepositions there. Based on your preposition chart, what would you conclude about Jesus Christ from the use of that preposition in? Now you're going to have to start doing some what we would call exegetical thinking. And hopefully this will get the old wheels grinding. You'll think this through. Then in verse 3, the text says, All things were created by him or through him. The pronoun him is singular masculine. What are the singular masculine nouns in the context which would be legitimate grammatical antecedents? Did you understand that question? You don't understand the question. All right. Did some of you understand the question? All right. 
That's right. I've given the other thing. Okay. Remember, for example, when we were talking about pronouns like him and her, a pronoun has to agree with what it's modifying if it's a singular masculine pronoun, him, verse 3, whatever noun that it's modifying has to be a singular masculine. So there's something above it that it has to be a singular masculine noun to modify. Now, just by virtue of the fact you're listening to this and can figure this out, you're way ahead of the class. I'm telling you, I guarantee you there's no other church in the world on Wednesday nights doing this stuff. You are in a rarer setting here, which may or not be good, but that's the way it is. All right, any questions? You can do this. You can do it. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you confess with your mouth, you'll be saved. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We're in Romans 10 Sunday morning. And Sunday night, Micah is just as powerful as he can possibly be when he really has some strength to him to say what he says to those political religious leaders. So we'll have a great day of worship for you on Sunday. Thank you for coming. Good night. The Lord bless you.